you're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. What is racism? We should ask that question. We should force people who want to talk about it to answer it. We should all be quite clear on this, right? What is the definition of racism? Because I think while the left has certainly gone out of its way to expand the definition of racism substantially to include things that no reasonable person would would think is actually that, uh, and this is through talking about systemic racism and a system of white supremacy and all these things we, we hear from the racial Marxists, people that seek to divide us, to exacerbate what separates us instead of trying to bring us together as Americans and as human beings. Uh, But but we should at least all be able to agree on the most baseline understanding of what racism is in America. If we're going to have to talk about it all the time, and it's never enough, you'll notice, we always have to have a conversation about race the moment the left says we should because we haven't done nearly enough and it's not moving in the right direction. And, you know, what was it? uh, The former attorney general under the Obama administration, Eric Holder said, we're cowards when it comes to conversations about race. So you better talk about it when the left says it's time and you better nod your head, bend the knee and agree or else they're going to come after you. As you know, uh, they're going to say that you are racist. And this is one of the most useful terms. This is one of the best ways that the left Uh, One of the most effective ways the left has to undermine and and attack people. You just say that and and you're covered with this this stench of badness, this immorality, this you're a bad person, even if there's no basis for the claim whatsoever. So it's a very powerful weapon, as you know. But isn't it fair to say that racism is when you judge somebody by the color of their skin? Or when you treat somebody differently because of the color of their skin. When you take away from someone, when you harm someone for their immutable, superficial characteristics, which is what race comes down to. Doesn't matter, doesn't change who a person is. And yet the left insists that it does matter a lot. You just have to make it matter in the ways that they say. Now, this is this is a fundamental disconnect in how our society sees this on the left they really do believe in practicing forms of racism just only in ways that are prescribed conservatives approach this and say you should never treat somebody differently on the basis of skin color you should never make these distinctions about individuals we're all uh, god's children we're all equal in the eyes of the law in our dignity and you, you you understand this is very clear but not to leftists, not today. Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago. That's why I'm talking to you about this. It's almost like she's running an experiment here to see how much racism, if you are on the left, if you're a Democrat, and in Lori Lightfoot's case, a black woman who's also a member of the LGBTQ plus community, can you explicitly say, I'm going to, as a public official, give something of value to people who are black or brown and explicitly deny it to people who are not in those 
racial categorizations. And I'm not even going to get into how racial categorizations are so often vague and and uh, unclear as to be absurd. Right. I mean, this is where you get into, okay, is someone a a quote brown journalist? And again, I'm using the terms of the left. I'm using Lori Lightfoot's own terminology. Is someone a brown journalist if they are half Cuban? No. Where do we draw the line? Are they are they a brown journalist if they are a quarter? You know, if one of their grandparents was from Puerto Rico, does that make you qualify as a brown? Well, it, but it, what if your last name is, you know, Hernandez or Rodriguez or whatever? Does that you see? This is why we don't make these distinctions about our fellow human beings. This is why the only ethical approach is to just treat everybody like a person, like a human. And to be decent and respectful to each other and not make any choice or decision about or about a person based upon skin color, period. There's a principle at work here. Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of the third largest city in Chicago, has decided that that principle is open for, well, I would say not just debate, but manipulation. And she has said that she will only grant interviews to black or brown journalists only in person interviews for black or brown journalists now anyone on the left who thinks that this is okay should then have to explain would it be also okay if joe biden said that he will only grant interviews to black or brown journalists in person how do you think the press corps would react to that the national press corps why wouldn't that be okay clearly clearly would get uh, get attention people would be a problem Oh, so is it because there's a different standard because Lightfoot is a a black female member of the LGBTQ plus community? So then the principle does not apply anymore about treating people equally uh, and not discriminating on the basis of race. Now, this is a this is an important case study in the leftist mind. This really matters. You can see that there's a problem here and you can see that under any normal circumstances in America, Today, this would be considered way beyond the pale. And yet here we are. This came to be a national news story this week. Oh, I'm going to get into why in a minute. Don't think I'm not aware that this is entirely a calculated decision by Lori Lightfoot, who is an incompetent, who is awful at her job. And so when people are bad at their job, they look for a way to distract from that. And sure enough, here we are. You know, pulling a Kaepernick, if you will, focusing on social justice issues instead of are you good at this thing that you are paid and elevated to do? So that's what's really happening here. I'll get into that in a moment. But Lightfoot, this came this came to uh, public attention this week, the mayor of Chicago. And here she is saying, no, no, I'm this is real. I'm not giving interviews to people who are journalists in person. Right now, at least for the for the foreseeable future, unless they are black or brown. That is the rule. Play eight. It's way past time for the City Hall Press Corps and the people that do the hiring and make the decisions to get the memo. We are in a time where we're having a powerful and important conversation around systemic racism in every institution. And the press and the media can't be exempt from that conversation press and the media can't be exempt from it. The press and the media are obsessed with it. We all know that. 
turn on CNN. What is the national media's favorite news story to run? White cop involved in lethal force incident with young black man. That is the, the press will will run that story all day long, all across the country. And they'll always insinuate that looks like it might be racism. And then when in a vast majority of the cases that have come to national prominence recently, we end up seeing, oh, the cops begged the guy to show his hands, tried to use a taser, weren't able to subdue him. He went for a cop's gun. It's all on video, you know, whatever the case may be. But the clear justified use of force, the media just moves on to the next one. Move on. They just move on to the next house to burn it down. They don't care. It doesn't matter to them that it was unjust, that it was wrong, because this is about creating a perception in the public. This is instilling a narrative in people's minds that is useful to people who have a certain philosophy of American life, and that also in, enhances their power. That's all this is really about. That's what they do. Now, for Lori Lightfoot, Chicago is incredibly violent uh, these days, as you uh, may already have seen in various news reports. There's a lot of shootings going on. This is a city that is on a downward trajectory, and Lightfoot has not been able to handle this well. You had 40 community groups and unions uh, that gathered in just the last uh, 24 hours. They gathered and marched in the city all different community organizers, people from lots of different backgrounds, members of the Chicago Teachers Union, uh, Little Village Environmental Justice Organization, Asian Americans Advancing Justice, all marching because Lightfoot is bad at her job. It's not doing a good job with the city of Chicago. So what does she do? She tries to play a race card here, but to do so in a way where she's just straight up telling everybody, I'm going to engage in what I think is good racism, and that will make this a better city, a fairer place, a fairer country. And this is why uh, you cannot trust our national media to be honest about these things. You have to fight against this complete repudiation of basic principle. That's where the left has gone at this point. Can we agree with them on what constitutes racism? Can you sit down now with a social justice Democrat leftist and say, all right, first principles here. Let, let's get down to basics. Can we just agree that a person's race does not determine anything about them and they should not be treated differently in any way under the law or just in our interactions as people because of the race? Can we just agree on that, that we are all equal, we're all the same? The left will look you in the eye now and say, no, we think we've found a better way. You're going to be proud of me. I went outside. I'm vaccinated, as you know, went outside, walked around without a mask and didn't feel as guilty as I normally do. Isn't that good? <laughs> you're getting there, Gail. You're baby, getting there. Baby steps, making progress. And a friend of mine said, Gail, you just need to relax. You and all the other people who are vaccinated, you are in a great position. You need to start living your lives. What is the confusion about the mask? Why are you worried about it? The bottom line is you don't have to wear a mask inside. You don't have to wear a mask outside if you're vaccinated. And the people that aren't vaccinated should still be wearing their mask. Is it as simple as that? It doesn't seem so. 
It really is, Gail. I mean, I think that the, the confusion that people had is that when the CDC made the announcement that people who are vaccinated can really feel safe because of the extraordinary degree of effectiveness of the vaccines, whether you're outdoors or indoors, somehow that got interpreted as saying, well, masks, forget masks. We don't need to wear masks, which is not the case because the recommendations for people who are not vaccinated have not changed. They really remain the same, particularly the issue of wearing masks when indoors. Masks are of minimal effectiveness at best. And this has become a religious, a religious and political belief for the people that are so devoted to them. It's it's good to be able to say that now after thinking it, feeling it suggesting it for a long time but now that we're getting out of the mask craze phase we're not done yet but i think it's it's time for us to all just take a moment to say they did not work the way we were told they worked. now they're going to play games with this and they'll say oh but you know look at the mask is if if it saves just one life it's worth it that's okay well that's not the same thing as it's effective right a vaccine that works 90 percent of the time to protect protect you from a vaccination uh, is or or rather that is 90 percent effective or 95 percent effective. That deserves the E word, something that makes it two percent less likely that you'll get covid or that provides you, you know, one percent protection. That's a waste of time. And when you look at mask mandates by the actual numbers, they did not work. Why is this so impossible for so many people to understand you're not actually being hit by droplets you know the droplets coming out of the mouth the droplets no as we understand the virus travels in the air freely at submicroscopic level and when you're in when you're in a room with somebody and you're breathing in the air that they're breathing out all the time and that virus those virus particles calling them particles makes it sound like they're a lot bigger than they are but uh, they are, are in the air moving around the air that flow that you're taking into your mask above your mask below your mask is obviously more than enough for you to have exposure to it so you know you sit here and you say why why don't people understand this does not you know if i sent you into a, a room for example and you you know we, we had had mustard gas released in there and you put a cloth mask over your face, you're still going to be coughing a lot. It's still getting into your lungs. You're still breathing that stuff in. But they, uh, they still cling. They cling to the mask. They cling to it. They aren't willing to uh, just deal with the reality that they're not as smart as they think they are. And they're very complacent and, and willing to comply um, I thought it was interesting that Gail, Gail King here is just saying that she feels guilty when she she's vaccinated, but she feels guilty when she's outside of the mask. Guilty. This is uh, this has taken on a religious significance for people. And I think a lot of them have gotten very used to and they're they're very pleased with themselves uh, for their mask wearing. Look at me. I get to do something. It's like the people that care so much about climate change. They're not going to change their their lives or their habits, but they love telling you. How important it is to combat climate change. Love telling you that. Very important to them to, to have you hear that. But not going to do anything about it. This isn't over. Buck, why are you talking about this? Buck, why are you still on this fight? And you know that I'm this is a point of, of particular sensitivity for me because I had to live with this in New York. 
And and it wasn't just that it was annoying and stupid and I could see that people weren't thinking for themselves and weren't being reasonable or rational about the whole mask mania at all, which is all of that is true and that's very annoying. But I, I also see that my fellow Americans, and this is the part that I find really disquieting, my fellow Americans, millions and millions of them, can be brainwashed with utter stupidity and turn on their fellow Americans because people who are supposed experts tell them to. And when those experts look like morons, when those experts are wrong, when they say things that are contradictory, that don't make sense, those who have who are susceptible to the brainwashing just keep going along with it. Our high priest Fauci never makes a mistake. Fauci gets it right every time. He knows what he's doing. Why won't you listen to Saint Fauci? Well, because he's a mediocrity and a bit of an idiot. That's why. What was the upside of all of this? Look at countries, look at large countries similar to us around the world uh, and, and tell me why is it that we were led to believe that this was all a function of Trump denying the science, really? Is what's happening in India right now Trump's fault? Is the fact that most major European countries had about the same or worse death rates from COVID than we did Trump's fault? No, they lied to you a lot. And the people who were lying to you were smug and condescending about it. And they're not done. This is the part that I have to say, because I know we're all starting to breathe a little freer. Literally, they're not done. I'm an absolute carnivore. You know that. I love high quality meat and I cook it on the weekends. It's something I look forward to. I make sure I have all the right ingredients. I get all my herbs together, my seasoning and everything. But if you don't have the right protein, you don't have the right meat, chicken, pork, fish, doesn't matter how good you are in the kitchen. So I want you to have the best stuff you can get, and then you'll have an amazing meal for you and your family with Moink. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon direct to your door, and they help family farms become financially independent outside of big agriculture. So you're also doing something that you really believe in here while you're eating the most delicious pork, chicken. I mean, I made the whole rotisserie chicken from Moink. It's the best chicken I've ever made. I had the ribeye recently. I put some thyme in there, a little bit of butter to baste and finish it at the end after I got a perfect sear. This was the most perfectly marbled meat I've ever had. You will love Moink, and it gets delivered right to your door. It's so convenient. You just take it right out, put it in the freezer, and then when you want it, you're going to have top quality beef, chicken, pork. The bacon, it's funny. Somebody asked me, how'd you like the Moink bacon? Because I was telling them about my box. And I said, well, uh, I liked it so much that I can't even really remember it because I ate it in like four days. The whole thing of bacon, just me. It was so good. Join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com buck right now. And listeners to this show, get free bacon for a year. That's right. One year of the best bacon you'll ever taste, but for a limited time only. M-O-I-N-K box.com slash buck. That's moinkbox.com slash buck. I'm telling you, as I talk to you about it, I can hear that bacon sizzling. I can hear that sear on the ribeye again. 
This is the meat that I want to make and eat. Moinkbox.com slash buck. That's M-O-I-N-K, box.com slash buck. Have it sent to your door, trust me. Are there any discussions within the administration about whether you have to require proof of vaccination um, or some sort of vaccine passport for travel? Just because I think there are a lot of anxieties about traveling on airplanes. Well, I believe that airlines are going to do that on their own. As I mentioned, there is no plans right now for the federal central government to be making any mandates about the requirement for vaccine proof. But there's no doubt in my mind or, or in many of my public health colleagues that we're already starting to see steps in that direction where independent entities will likely be requiring proof of vaccination before you can either get on a plane or step into a university campus. You may be done with Fauci, my friends, but the Fauci is not done with you. Now, he doesn't have the authority per se, the legal authority to mandate vaccine passports. And the Biden administration is not yet saying they will try to mandate it even at the federal level. But they're going to be pretty happy with the people who do. You're going to be wearing masks on planes for the rest of this year and perhaps for years to come because of the idiots who sit around saying Fauci's really smart. Fauci really got it all right. He knew everything we needed to do. I'm so glad I Lysoled my groceries because Fauci said so. He did it himself. Don't ever forget this little moron, the little lab coat tyrant smurf himself, the Fouch. He was he was a wash your hands every five minutes and lice all your groceries guy back in the day. Uh, what what a, a pure um, uh, just a just an absurdity. This guy is. But vaccine passports, you think they're not coming because the Biden administration isn't demanding them. Oh, they're going to happen in some places. And what everyone has to remember is that even if you and, and I'm asked too, Buck, why why are you why are you pro vaccine? Why are you uh, saying you're, you're getting you're getting the vaccine? And I just tell you, because I'm trying to maneuver around the crazy blue state Fauci worshiping insanity. And I know what they're going to do here. Uh, they're going to leave it to the right now. They're trying to cajole. They're trying to. Trying to convince the private sector behind the scenes, hey, you know, probably be good if you guys got some proof of vaccination stuff going. They want to see it rolled out in some places and then the government will swoop in and say, you know what? This is good. We back this. Let's do more of this in some other places, too. Incrementalism, folks. It's what the left does. It's what they know. This is their plan. Fauci's saying, oh, it'll just happen in the private sector. You'll notice he he never says, I have concerns about privacy. I have concerns about the president. No, Fauci doesn't give a crap about your privacy, your rights. Obviously, the little tyrant was gleeful. You know, he was he was out there on the cover of magazines and trying to throw a pitch from the pitcher's mound to home plate and getting it to go about three feet in the wrong direction. He loved it. He was having a great time. You think he wants all that to end? The guy was like our unelected healthcare emperor for a while. And yet there's been no real repudiation of him. People haven't 
woken up. You get woke about Fauci. This guy's a little a little health policy fascist. It's been awful. So when he says, yeah, you know, like I think there may be, you know, private sector. There may be planes that require you, you know, airlines require you to. It's probably going to happen. And remember the talk of booster shots. This is one area where and I, I know we all just want to be done with this, but you'll notice there's very little in the way of answers. You know, I'm immune, right? I'm immune, but I'm I'm not somebody who has gotten the shot yet because my immunity lasts for at least another month. And I've seen studies that suggest it'll last for many months beyond that. And who knows? I mean, it could be it could be permanent against at least the strain of covid that I had. So why should I get the shot? How long will the immunity from the shot last? If natural immunity only gives you antibodies and protection for a few months, how long is the shot supposed to work for? They don't know. They do not know. But they just want everyone to get it. Get it. Get the shot. Shut up. Get the shot. That's their that's the messaging campaign. Shut up and get it. Don't don't ask any questions about it. You say, OK, well, I understand for as I've told you all along, seniors who are at high risk. Uh, I, I think I think get the shot. I mean, I, I my own family members who are who are senior citizens. I've they've gotten the shot. I encourage them all to get the shot. Every senior listening to this, I think it is of my opinion that it is in your interest to get one of the vaccination shots. If you're 25, 30, 35 years old and you've already had covid, you're still supposed to get this. Really? When are the boosters going to come out? This is what I'm this is what I'm trying to set you up for, because I don't want us to lower our guard against this tyranny and then all of a sudden go, wait, wait a second. Hey, I thought we were done. I thought we were all friends. I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest. You know, with the, we're done with the COVID, right? Why are they booster shots? I don't want a booster. Sh- yeah, yeah. That could very well come back. That's, that's what I want to avoid. I, I at least don't want that to be some kind of a surprise, right? That's that's important because they'll get us. Um, uh, they'll get us, you know. They'll sneak up on us somehow. So then there's Pelosi letting you know that while there are plenty of places on Capitol Hill where you don't have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated, there are plenty of places where there are people intermingling without masks Not on the House floor. You got to put that mask on on the House floor because Nancy says so. Play 10. I mean, we could come to a place where we say if you don't want to wear a mask and you don't want to, if you're not vaccinated, don't even come to the floor. We have facilities up above in the in the gallery where people can come to vote. We don't want to deter anybody's ability to um, exercise their constitutional duties. Not allowed on the floor. Yeah, you can vote from somewhere else. Yeah, this is what Pelosi's saying. You think these little tyrants are are sick and tired of the power they have? Are you they're addicted to it? They love it. They don't want to give this up. You know what the problem is here? We we haven't adjusted realistic risk parameters enough so that people understand that the reality here is that if you've been vaccinated and you're a believer in the science of the vaccines. You should be fine. You shouldn't worry about what anyone else is doing when it comes to COVID. Because the chance of you getting it from any one person is so, so small. But no, it's 
It's you have people that walk around who are vaccinated, double masking outside still. You say, what's it like to be a crazy person? That's the question I want to ask them. With Pelosi, though, my favorite thing is power. That's all Nancy cares about. I mean, really think about it. She's almost 80. She's super rich. She's gotten away with being a total left-wing hack her whole career. She doesn't stand for anything good or principled. So what, what really gets Nancy Pelosi fired up in the morning? Uh, well, getting her hair done, as you know, even when everyone else can't because of the COVID lockdowns, and uh, wielding power like some monarch, at least getting as close to it as she possibly can, banning other members of the House of Representatives, duly elected, uh, from their full access to their duties because she is concerned about this this health stuff. Uh, and here's Nancy just even saying more about it. Play 11. What is this, the honor system? The honor system as to whether somebody has been vaccinated? Do you want them breathing in your face on the strength of their honor? So let, let's just see. Um, let's just see. And when, again, we have this is about science and governance. And science and governance, we have a responsibility to make sure that the House of the Representatives chamber is not a petri dish for the, uh, because of the selfishness of some not to be vaccinated. Uh, she's a loon. She really is. But she's illuminating an argument here that's, that's really good for everyone to know and to hear. Uh, and that is, and the argument here is, hold on a second. So the honor system, you know, just trusting that people aren't trying to cheat the system because they can probably get away with it pretty easily. The honor system is not something you can go on when it really counts or is important. Oh, is that kind of like voter ID, Nancy? You know, why would anyone cheat? Why would anyone break the law when it comes to voting? Can't we just trust everybody? Can't we just uh, allow them to tell us that they are who they say they're? Why do we need voter ID? No one's going to cheat. Why do we need uh, vaccine passports? No one's going to lie about it, Nancy. Well, why do you need proof? Oh, okay. So it's just whatever they want. There's, there's no consistency, no, no principle here. And, and remember, that is actually, and I, I think I have to amend that statement. That is, the principle is they get what they want. What do they want? What are the emotional and psychological needs of libs? Whatever the answer to that question is, that's the right thing. There's nothing else. There's no mutually agreed upon ground. There's no uh, area of intellectual commonality on it. No, no, no. What do they want? Like, like a child throwing a tantrum in a sandbox, whatever they decide they need in that moment is the only thing that matters. And the problem we have now is that they often get it because they have acquired so much power. This was an all-out attempted coup. Mike Pence was taken out of the Senate chamber something like 60 seconds before uh, these terrorists and insurrectionists got into the Senate chamber. 60 seconds could have meant potentially the difference between what we have right now in a martial state. And we don't want to acknowledge that that's how close we got. But that is how close we got. We think of coups as something that happens in, quote unquote, banana republics or in the developing or, quote unquote, third world. And it happened here. No, it really didn't. There was not a coup. And for her to continue to say this 
just crosses over in, into into malicious recklessness. We've seen the people who are inside the Capitol building. What was the plan? A coup has to has to have a plan. Were they going to install QAnon shaman as the de facto emperor and overlord of the United States? They were unarmed. What do you think? What, what AOC do you think they were going to do when it came time for Capitol Hill police to say you're leaving? And they said, no, we are the government now. Men with guns would have dragged them out. If they had continued to fight against them, men with guns would have hit them with batons and, if necessary, would have shot them. That is what would have happened. And we know this because the only person who was shot, the only person shot during the so-called coup was an entirely unarmed female protester. Probably weighed about 130 pounds. They, no, one, no one tried to subdue her. No one wanted to use a, a taser on her. No one even told her, stop or I'll shoot. Just pulled out a gun, shot her in the neck. Capitol Police says that this was a lawful use of force. Could you imagine what would happen if a BLM protester who was, oh, you know, in the act of trying to burn down a federal courthouse in Portland or burn a, a historic 150-year-old church right next to the White House, if a BLM protester was just shot in the neck? No, with, with no real explanation other than, oh, you know, they were, they, were pro, they, were, they were rioting. I'm sorry, rioter, I should have said. A BLM rioter shot in the neck. It would have been mayhem. There would have been more riots, of course, all over the country in response to it, and the media would be justifying it. But, but coming back to this notion of a coup, this is a deeply dishonest thing. And that's why, you know, I, I wrote about this yesterday on BuckSaxon.com. Please check out the beast. The January 6th commission would be a show trial. It would be a show trial. And that's something that I, I absolutely know. And beyond that, um, beyond that, it's just so dishonest to see what's going on here because they're using words to describe this that no honest, no honest person could look at this and say, you know what? Yeah, it's, it's true. This was an effort to overthrow the United States government. What, what was QAnon shaman and the others, you know, the, the fanny pack wearing, you know, uh, tourist looking MAGA rioters? Were, were they going to take on the National Guard? What, what, what was really the plan here? But the overheated rhetoric. Oh, Trump tried to steal the election in 2016 with Russia because someone who was Russian said they had information on Hillary. I mean, that's that's quite a, a creative leap, isn't it? Trump worked with the Kremlin. But you see, they take a tiny just like all the great lies of history, just like all the all the most vile propagandists. They they take a just the smallest grain of truth and then inflate it to be a boulder. And then they say, see, this is what's going on here. Or you can listen to me or you can listen to. Joe Scarborough, who I will tell you, I now I now judge the intelligence of people that still watch Joe Scarborough, people that, that watch Joe Scarborough on TV. I think less of their intelligence. I just 
And I don't say that about many people. Like, you can watch Maddow and be a smart leftist, and you're just getting propaganda, but but at least you're getting, you know, Maddow is, is, is very bright. She's wrong on everything, but she is smart. Uh, dishonest, but smart. Joe Scarborough is just a, a thuggish buffoon, and yet here he is, play one. This is not about Joe Biden. This stopped being about Joe Biden a long time ago. This is about you. This is about you playing in to what every one of our enemies wants you to play into. That American democracy is not worth being trusted. That American democracy is no different than Russia. If you believe that... (laughs) I will say to you what many of you said in the 1960s. America, love it or leave it. If you don't have respect in American democracy anymore, if you don't respect Madisonian checks and balances, if your guy doesn't win, if that's the new rules of engagement for this great republic, then just leave our country. Because you're unworthy of it. And there are millions of immigrants who will come here and raise their right hand and buy into the creed and believe that we are exceptional, that believe American democracy is the greatest government on the face of the earth. And they will do it proudly. They will salute the flag proudly. And most importantly, they will fight. (laughs) What a moron. He really is. Remember how Mitch McConnell said there's no doubt, none, that President Trump uh, inspired uh, and encouraged this insurrection? There is no good reason, none, for a member of Congress to oppose a bipartisan commission to investigate an attack on the Congress, attack on American democracy. Uh, If it makes your party look bad because your party's implicated in what happened, that's too bad. And if you can't put country over party, as John McCain liked to to say, uh, in a situation like this, uh, what that means is there are a lot of people walking around the Congress who like to project the image of patriotic Boy Scouts who are defining themselves as anti-American by opposing this inquiry. Journalist, quote unquote, Harwood here of, of CNN, he's a journalist. There's no good reason to oppose the... January 6th commission. That's funny because I can think of like a lot of good reasons to oppose it. And I want to pose some of those to my friend Ryan Gerdusky, who is with us now. He's a political consultant and author of They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created a National Populist Revolution. Mr. Ryan, how are you, sir? Good. Thanks for having me. So I, I saw 35 votes from the Republican side here going for a January 6th commission. I just are are they are they dumb or is it just because they think this will help those Republicans think it'll help them get reelected? I feel like the, the Democrats never have this problem of the people on their side acting like they want their party to lose. Yeah, no, it's not because of reelection. I mean, there are a handful of those people. Well, first of all, remember that all the seats are going to change. So people like John Kako, who represents a Democrat, is a Republican in a Democrat district in upstate New York. He will most likely not see his House seat even be there anymore. Adam Kinzinger will probably lose his House seat. So, no, it's not for a matter of re-election. And then for the most of the 35, I would say probably 30, 
32 of the 35 represent overwhelmingly Republican districts. So, I mean, some people like Young Kim have a lot more to lose, who represents a uh, swing district that Biden won by 10 points in Southern California, and she voted against it. Then somebody like, you know, uh, Congressman Rice represents a Republican plus 20 district in South Carolina. Um, no, this is a matter of the fact that they that, that they think that this is the brave thing to do. Um, they think that it's brave to sit there and, and, and go along with the media narrative. And it's idiotic. Uh, it's completely idiotic. And this is a complete sham and a complete hoax. And I, I, I spoke to a reporter yesterday, a Hill reporter, who told me that it's probably not has no chance of close to no chance of going anywhere in the Senate. Right. That's the next phase. Now, the House obviously already got this through and got some, as I mentioned, 35 Republicans to go with it. But who, who are the who are the people that are are in the mix, so to speak, in the Senate as of right now who you could go one way or the other, Ryan, but look like they may they may realize that this this will just turn into the, you know, the worst members of Congress giving long, annoying speeches about the attack on our democracy, which, as I like to point out to people, what does that even mean? You know, it, right. it, it, notice that if, if it were if it were an attack that involved, you know, cops that were actually killed, which they said, which ended up not being true, you know, you would use specifics if you could. But instead, what they do is they use this very amorphous concept of attacking our system itself. Well, it's the coalition of the usual suspects. It's Langford from Oklahoma, Sass from Nebraska, Romney from Utah, Murkowski from from uh, Alaska. Um, it's the same group that is the squish that votes against everything the Republicans want to do. Um, and then, I mean, even Susan Collins said she's not interested. So, uh, you know, without Susan, I have a hard time seeing that Tillis will do it in North Carolina. He probably won't go along with it. Maybe Toomey, um, and maybe uh, uh, the senator from Louisiana, not John Kennedy, he would never do this, but the other one, uh, Bill Cassidy. So maybe Bill Cassidy, maybe maybe Pat Toomey, uh, and then the other ones to look out for are Sass, Langford, Romney, um, and Murkowski. Can I, can I like offer up in some way helping? Can, can we get a group together to primary Ben Sass? Can, can we get rid of this guy, Ryan? Oh Is God, it possible? You know, the last thing that Phyllis Schlafly ever did in her life was warn people against Ben Sass. She said, please don't vote for Ben Sass in Nebraska. And she, I mean, Phyllis was right about many things throughout her entire life. But boy, she nailed it on Ben Sass before she passed away. You know, I, I used to hear years ago from some people when I was still working at, at the Blaze and, and some of the folks that were in that, that orbit, they were... They were also warning about him. Watch out for that guy. But you know now, now he's he's kind of gotten into that that role in the GOP of the guy who only has stern words, you know, uh, for his own side, and somehow finds that strange new respect that lasts a day from the New York Times editorial page. You know, I, I'll tell you a really funny story. I I'm not the biggest fan of Josh Hawley. I think that I have a lot of frustrations with him. As a senator, and another senator, another Republican senator reached out to me. This isn't that long ago, and said to me, um, "You know, why, why, why would you oppose Josh Hawley? I mean, he seems like he'd be right up your alley." And we're having a whole conversation about it. And I was like, "You know, there's sometimes I feel like he might be a fraud." And uh, the senator said to me, and the Republican senator goes, "He's not a fraud, but man, Ben Sass is." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I like that. <laughs> that, 
that that definitely nails it. It's true. Yeah, it it's so true. Um, so yeah, so that is, um, so yeah, so yeah, Ben Sass is just one of the worst Republicans in existence. There is, I mean, Langford as well. Langford is from Oklahoma. He should be voting for everything Republicans possibly want. He votes against us, uh, you know, across the board all the time. Um, Romney is Romney, you know, but the good thing about Romney is he's a man of a particular age and he's probably not going to be there for much longer. Um, Murkowski is kind of been safe in Alaska, because they changed the election law, but Sass and Langford, of all people, need to go. Ryan Gerdusky with us now. He's the author of They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created a National Populist Revolution. He's a political consultant. Ryan, are we starting to see, because here's my thing, the the Democrats, they've got a playbook here. The playbook under Trump was to create this Russia collusion thing, which is still, uh, people have not, I, I think, really wrapped their minds around how crazy that was how how fabricated and then also how damaging. I mean, people say, well, they didn't they didn't manage to remove Trump from office with it. And I say, yeah, but they use this to to put the administration under siege. I mean, I remember talking to young White House staffers who were worried about their legal bills and possible legal jeopardy from being you know ground up in the Mueller machine at some point. So it was very effective for Democrats, even though it was all a lie and there's been no accountability for it. And now they're doing a similar thing here with the January 6th commission. So I understand that they want to have a threat to our democracy narrative from Republicans in the background to justify all the crazy, you know, left wings, Marxist CRT stuff they want to do. Are, are, are we starting to see, though, real weakness in Biden administration numbers? Are we starting to see I know it won't be necessarily at the you know, overall approval level, but on specific issues, are, are, are they concerned about this early stage of midterm analysis and assessment? Well, look, here's the thing. They believe Democrats in this town, I'm, I'm in Washington, I've been here for a week, genuinely believe that January 6th will be the issue and QAnon will be the issue that gets them reelected in 2022. They think that every a person in this country has QAnon and January 6th at the tip of their tongue. And it, it could not be more untrue if possible. And there are already some warning signs in, you know, it, it, around us. There was the uh, Texas 6th Congressional District where, where it was a jungle primary where basically all parties run the same primary and the top two go off to a runoff. Um, Democrats didn't make the top two positions, so it's only Republicans in the runoff. Then they lost. Then there was just a ballot initiative, a major ballot initiative in Pennsylvania, I think, two days ago. Democrats lost that, which which strips the governor of some of his emergency power related to COVID. Um, there's going to be the New Jersey and Virginia governor's races. Virginia's obviously far more competitive than New Jersey is. And then there'll be the uh, California initiative to sit there and re uh, remove um, Governor Newsom. There's a lot of tea leaves. Running on QAnon on January 6th is like Republicans running on socialism. It has a very, very, very short shelf life and affects very, very, very few people. Um, and I think this is an incredibly um, bad, bad sign on there. Um, you know, gas prices are $6 a gallon. Inflation is rising across the board. Uh, we still have high levels of unemployment, uh, open border, a, a battle, a war in Israel. Uh, rising crime in every American, major American city. All these conditions don't look good for Joe Biden. And if he thinks that him and his party think that getting 
you know, behind talking about the QAnon shaman for the next year and a half is the way to sit there and revert their 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 electoral problems. They're in they're in for it. Amazing to me to see. And we're speaking to Ryan Gurdusky, political consultant for everybody joining us. Amazing. Amazing for uh, me to see, Ryan, that there are those who who like to be taken seriously in public life who who refer to this as what happened on January 6th as an insurrection and will say things like this was a a coup to overthrow the United States government. You brought up, you know, QAnon shaman. We've all seen some of the video, and I would note that I've spoken to members of Congress about it as recently as this week. Capitol Hill police won't release more footage from inside the Capitol. There's more, there's a lot more video footage. They don't want to release it because I think what it will show is, look, a bunch of buffoons, granted, but walking around taking photos and thinking that they're, you know, grabbing souvenirs. They're stealing stuff, which is not good. But that's it. And to call this a coup, I mean, I, you know, I, I used to work in the CIA. I'm somebody who really finds a history of of you know, counter revolutions and uh, revolutions and espionage to be something that everybody should know. Uh, this is not a coup, right? I mean, when when the Russians sent the Spetsnaz in to assassinate everybody in the presidential palace in Afghanistan, basically to take everybody out, it was at the you know, and they, they went in there with 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 machine guns. That's a coup. This is not a coup. Yeah, AOC was mentioning that uh, we were just, you know, minutes away from getting martial law in America. And uh, I don't know who she thought it was a QAnon shaman going to declare martial law or, or a bunch of truckers or grandmas. It's it's absurd. And and to I mean, yes, they all did something wrong. But to the level that these people are being treated and to the height that this is going to be lived up to. No one out, and I was trying to explain this today, uh, yesterday rather, to to a, a, a Democrat that I know in, in D.C. No one outside of the Beltway ever thinks about January 6th, ever. No one. It affects nobody. No one thinks about this. No one cares about this. This is not something that they're going to be sitting there and be mobilized by. And they genuinely do not believe that. They think that everyone on the tip of their tongues is thinking about January 6th. Over and over and over. They think it's as big of a deal as 9-11 is and that they can soak this for as much as it's worth. And uh, I can't overemphasize that they're wrong. I mean, people have just moved on past this completely. Um, and, uh, you know, it's – and right now I think that it's up for Republicans to create an alternative legislative agenda, an aggressive legislative agenda. Um, because, I mean, the budget's coming up next week, which will be the latest budget in the history of the United States – and then the Republican budget will be offered soon after that. And, um, you know, I, at least the Republicans need to start doing messaging bills. There are so many giant crowns on the floor, issues that people actually care about, just waiting to be picked up. And it's amazing how many refuse to even look at them. Ryan Gurdusky, everybody. We'll have him back soon. Ryan, thanks so much uh, for joining thanks. us. And check out Ryan's book, How the Elites Created a National Populist Revolution. That is why I'm alarmed when Democrats use socialist rhetoric and push socialist policies. Democrats want to control what we read, what we teach our children, and deny our history. Democrats want to censure free speech and restrict debate through political correctness. And Democrats want to redistribute taxpayers' hard-earned money from those who work to those who choose not to. That, my friends, is the road to serfdom. Kevin McCarthy is correct here, but I think this is this is a moment where we can illustrate 
why Republicans don't win. I think this is where you can see an instance of how Republicans will not get it done because of the rhetoric, because of the way they talk about these issues. Socialism does not scare enough Americans. It doesn't scare them really at all. Some people oppose it, but that's why I think we need to move into discussions about the uh, the racial Marxists among us, that the primary division tool is no longer class, it is race in this country. That's what the Marxists do. And when you understand the, the connections here to Karl Marx from the collectivist thought in America, you also then can start to draw much more clear lines between what they're saying today that you know, the Democrats are saying today that may sound feasible or even reasonable, but takes us in the direction of the kinds of authoritarianism and extremism of the past that has been such a nightmare. And on that pathway, their incrementalism comes with a cost at every step. They just hope to cover it up. They hope to rely on the public's ignorance of what's really happening and on the promises made of where it's going to take us to get around that recognition of the pain that we all feel from the bad ideas, the bad policies of the Marxist left in this country. Kevin McCarthy is speaking the truth, but not in a way that it will break through, not in a way that gets people mobilized. What was one of the great lessons of Trumpism? You have to actually take the fight to the other side like somebody who wants to win. You have to be willing to speak about them in the same tones of derision and condescension that they constantly speak about you. You have to call them the fake news. You have to say, you're lying, libs. If we take this gentle approach all the time, if we take this, why can't we just hand out more copies of Milton Friedman and Friedrich Hayek and then everybody will agree with us, we will lose. That's great for the think tank set, but it doesn't actually help us win the battle for America. Mark Mark Meadows weighs in here on critical race theory, place six. Well, listen, we continue to see that the racial divide, this racism narrative from the Democrat left is all that they have to offer. They they are looking to divide. You know, I, I believe it was Martin Luther King that said, you know, when he was talking about his children, that he was hopeful that they wouldn't be judged on the color of their skin, but their content of their character. And yet this critical race theory throws that upside down and says the only thing that you should be focused on is the color of skin. It's, it's not who we are. It's truly trying to remake uh, the civil rights movement into something that it was never intended to be. And quite frankly, it's dividing us, not bringing us together. Probably, frankly, sorry. I I don't know. I, I, I really wish for, you know what, I always said this, I can't really do a Trump impersonation because my heart's not in it, you know. Where's the Fouch? Oh, my heart's in it. That's for sure. Uh, but what, what uh, Mark Meadows is saying here about critical race theory is all true and we have to defeat the narrative of racial Marxism in this country or, or else the left will continue to be ascendant and they will change the culture and with it our politics and with it our country. Do you think you have free expression online? Now, I know you know the answer is no, but I, we, we need to keep raising this question. Why is that? Well, big tech is completely controlled by the progressive 
Marxist left, as you've already seen, they will try to throw an election for Democrats. They'll do whatever they want to do. They'll shut down a former president from being able to use the Internet to communicate. And they have no problem with it. They're also tracking everything you do. You know that they sell your data to third parties. They make money off of every link you click on, everything you type in. They are making money off of you. So do you want to fight back and create some privacy for yourself in the process? You need a virtual private network. And the best VPN you can get is ExpressVPN, the most trusted, the most widely used by people like you and me who want privacy and security online. With ExpressVPN on your computer or phone, it's just an app. You anonymize a lot of your online presence by hiding your IP address. That makes your activity much more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. And ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your network data to protect you from eavesdroppers and cyber criminals. What I like most is how easy it is to use. It just takes one click to protect all your devices. That's why ExpressVPN is rated number one by CNET and Wired. Revoke big tech's right to your data today. Go to expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck. And on a one-year package, you'll get three extra months free with my exclusive link. Just go to this website now, expressvpn.com slash buck. Protect yourself, create privacy, fight back against big tech. The new new thing in Washington now that's dividing Congress is the mask mandate. House of Representatives, Democrats want it, so Republicans naturally don't. Democrats in the House yesterday blocked a Republican-led resolution that would have allowed them to not wear masks to work. It took a while, but we finally found the one thing House Republicans aren't willing to cover up. Their faces. And the main reason these masks are, are still needed, the only reason they need them on the floor of the House is because less than half of House Republicans are vaccinated. They don't want to get vaccinated and they don't want to wear a mask. It feels like at the end of a, an episode of The Twilight Zone, we finally find the cure for the disease everyone has, but they're too dumb to take it. Was Jimmy Kimmel ever funny or has he always just been a, a bloated, bloviating moron? I, I, I wonder, was Jimmy Kimmel always a jerk? I, I'm not really familiar with it, with what his work was in the past. I know he was on The Man Show, and I know that he did uh, do a blackface skit where he was Carl Malone, right? So I, I'm aware of some of his previous efforts at entertainment. <clears throat> but it's it's such a shame that comedy has been destroyed by the left. And they'll say, oh, look at all the famous comedians right now. They're, they're liberal. Yeah, it's been destroyed. They, they all are terrible, pretty much. I mean, I, I like that guy I told you. I, I try to light a candle and not just curse the darkness here all the time. Uh, that guy, Nate Bargatze, I think is his name. <clears throat> He's out of Tennessee. He's funny. And, and it's like nice. You can you can watch it with your wife. You can watch it with your kids. It's not all, you know, bleep, you know, I'm going to bleep and then I'm going to bleep. You know, it's all the cursing and the sexual stuff and everything all the time. He's just making jokes. He's just making normal, nice jokes about things. And they're not corny. They're, they're pretty funny. He's pretty good. I mean, it's not the funniest guy I've ever seen. And look, I like edgy comedy. I think Dave Chappelle does some really great stuff, and he certainly curses a lot. I mean, I'm not sitting here saying that we all have to be that a, a comedian has to sound like he's just come out of Bible camp. I, I get it. But comedy is something that we should all. It's, it's one of those just like sports used to be. And now I'm. Yeah, granted, I was never that into professional sports as an adult, but I just I don't even I won't. I'm not watching it. 
I don't care. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. Uh, comedy, though, used to be a thing that everybody at some level could enjoy together. You know, we could all sit there and say, wow, we really, you know, we, we, we really can have this moment of looking at the absurdity of life together and feeling like we are um, united in that one moment, right? Comedy should be something where everyone can laugh ir- irrespective of their politics or anything else. Not anymore. Not allowed. And, and I'm, I'm angry about it. I mean, I'm frustrated. Angry might be too strong. I'm very frustrated by it. You know, I, I keep trying to watch something new on Netflix or Amazon Prime and the stuff that I the stuff that keeps coming up, I they're always these writers are always putting their annoying, you know, childish lib political messages and everything all the time. I can't even can't even watch, uh, you know, shows that you would think have nothing to do with politics. Nope, it's all about. You know, accepting people for who they are and diversity and inclusion. I'm like, I, I thought I was watching a, you know, a thing about like werewolves or I, I don't know, whatever. But it, it, it's just it's never it's never allowed anymore for people to just have a space where they can feel like they are able to come together and laugh. I, I you know, Jimmy Kimmel's the guy's a jerk, too. I mean, I've seen so many times in the past I've seen him be really mean about people, which is I hate that. And I'll never forget when he was like, somebody shot Cecil the lion. Cecil. Oh, yeah, a, a lion a lion was shot in a hunting expedition in Africa uh, long, far, far away away. It wasn't like his pet lion was shot. Anyhow, the whole thing was... You guys remember that? That whole thing was crazy. Um, the Cuomo brothers are having a rough one right now. The Cuomo brothers are having a rough time. Um, you've got Bro Cuomo... Which one is Bro Cuomo? Because I guess they're both bros, and they're both very they're vo- both very broy, if you know what I mean. They're like, hey, do we even lift, bro? Uh, but you you got the senior Cuomo, the governor of New York, who was the big hero of the pandemic. Oh, he's doing such a great job. Oh, he's so fantastic. All that stuff, right? The, the big hero of it all. And then we found out, no, he's actually a liar. No, he actually covered up the nursing home numbers and 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 all of that. And he should lose his job. He won't. My friend Andrew Giuliani, whom I've known since he was maybe 10 or 11 years old, uh, Rudy Giuliani's son, uh, I just spoke to him a couple of days ago. He's running for governor. I, I would, it's, it would be great if he could win, but I'm in New York. The Democrat political machine here is almost unstoppable at the state level. It's going to be very challenging. And, and I think that Cuomo knows the system well enough. He's a reliable enough Democrat that the Democrat system, the people that actually churn out the votes, they'll they'll keep him in office. This guy's going to run for reelection. I think Andrew Cuomo, despite everything, the sexual harassment stuff, which is on the on the scale of like one to ten, ten being you've got to be escorted out of the office in handcuffs uh, as a politician and one being, you know, you made a joke that was a little bit of a womp womp. Uh, you know, the, the nursing home stuff was for me like a, like an eight or a nine and the sexual harassment that I've heard of, at least about uh, from Cuomo is, you know, four or five. I mean, it's not, it was not, he didn't, he did not, as I understand, sexually assault anybody. I heard someone say that he may have, that there was an allegation about groping, but it was kind of like a, like hand in the small of the back thing or something, you know, so 
that, that's and I, I could be wrong because there have been so many of these allegations, but usually it's just kind of creepy comments. But I'm just going to say it not. I mean, not legally actionable comments. Not really. I don't think so. Uh, so and you know, look, I, I'm, I'm a big Cuomo critic. I'm not some Cuomo defender, but it's the nursing home stuff that's really so awful. And then what we saw and then his order there and the the plaudits and praise he received for being such a great governor, a leader during a pandemic. And then he wrote a book about his pandemic leadership when he should have been going around doing a national apology tour for how awful he was. And the guy got a five. I mean, I got to tell you, I know a little bit about the publishing industry. Five million dollar book deal. That is really hard to come by. I mean, that is presidential memoir money. If you're a Democrat, obviously not if you're a Republican Uh, Democrat presidential memoir money. That is, you know, you're writing a follow up to a smash bestseller, maybe a series. You know, that's like. That's like George R.R. R. Martin doing a new Game of Thrones kind of money. I mean, it's just you don't make five million dollars as as a part of a book deal as an advance. You just don't do it. And I mean, you know, you don't get that kind of money. And yet Cuomo did. And people are asking some questions about that. Here he is when he's asked those questions. Play 13. The book deal, I should say, was worth more than $5 million. And the allegations out there that you made that money on the backs of dead in New York, how do you respond to that? That's stupid. Next question. There was a person, Governor, who, who lost a loved one from COVID. And, you know, they were upset to see you making money writing a book about how you handled COVID. Why would it be stupid if they were bothered by that and thought there was something wrong with that? I mean, you used the word stupid a few minutes ago. Why would that be stupid? Well, you're, I thought your question was stupid and offensive. Uh, I wrote a book saying uh, this is what we should learn from what has happened so far in COVID because we're not done. It was all political. Blame, blame and use the emotion politically. That's what that is. Blame and use the truth against me. It's very sad. Very sad. I want my five million dollars. I do not want you, Mr. Journalist, Mr. Uh, Mr. Going to ask me questions and afterwards I'm going to have a little talk with you. Uh, I don't want you making it harder for me to get all the money that I deserve. Why do I deserve all this money? Because I wrote a book in the middle of a crisis about how well I handled the crisis. And the problem is I did a terrible job and I lied about it and I covered it up and uh, therefore... But don't ask any more questions. Your questions are stupid and offensive. This is the governor of New York. Nepotism in politics once again. I know there, it, it exists on the Republican side too. I, I don't like it anywhere. I think nepotism is something that we as a society, it, it comes from a very shallow thinking. It comes from just... The, the most superficial marketing uh, marketing machines that are out there of, oh, I know that last name or I know of this person's last name, so I'm going to go for them. I, I, I wish we would just have a more of a movement to say, no, we're not going to do that. And, and you might be saying, well, why do you want Andrew Giuliani to be the governor? Is it because his dad is a governor? Um, 
he is somebody who I know and I, I think is a good guy and I think he's smart on the issues. So I also don't think you should use someone's last name against them, right? If I didn't think that he was a, I mean, I'll tell you this much right now. There, there are some people from Trump world that have the last name that I don't want running for office, right? So I, I make distinctions between those who happen to be, you know, in a position to, uh, to benefit from that and those, who, and those who don't. But in general, nepotism alone is something that we should be wary of and we should, uh, we should have in our minds uh, a, a bit of skepticism whenever someone's going to be trying to run for elected office. Oh, and notice how I also told you that Andrew's a friend, someone that I've socialized with, and I know Andrew Giuliani. So, see, I'm clear. I tell you the truth. I tell you where I come from on these issues. And you could say, Buck, your judgment on that is clearly a little bit clouded by the fact that you like the guy and you've known him since you're little kids. True. But see, I tell you all that. What do the Cuomos do? Ah, this is a, this will be an instructive moment here. Chris Cuomo, he's supposed to be a journalist. He has a primetime show at CNN. Is he really a journalist or is he a propagandist who will actually misrepresent what his role is and specifically do so to try to help his embattled governor brother? Oh, let's address that together. If you'll remember, I told you back in the beginning of March, I can't cover my brother's troubles. It wouldn't be fair. And you got it then. And I appreciate you understanding. Now, today, there are stories out there about me offering my brother advice. Of course I do. This is no revelation. I have said it publicly, and I certainly have never hidden it. I can be objective about just about any topic, but not about my family. Those of you who watch this show get it. Like you, I bet my family means everything to me. And I am fiercely loyal to them. I'm family first, job second. But being a journalist and a brother to a politician is unique and a unique challenge. And I have a unique responsibility to balance those roles. It's not always easy. And people can say and write what they want. But I want you to know the truth. How I helped my brother also matters. When my brother's situation became turbulent, being looped into calls with other friends of his and advisors that did include some of his staff, I understand why that was a problem for CNN. It will not happen again. He's not a journalist. So let's start with that. So that's a, that's a lie. He's not a journalist. He's a propagandist. He picks sides and fights for those sides, whether it's the Democrat Party, which he does, or his brother, the governor of New York, which he obviously also has admitted now to doing. The issue was never that he didn't cover his brother. He came forward and said, I can't when things got bad. The initial problem was that he would not uh, he would not refrain from covering his brother as the governor of New York. And remember, CNN is based here. They say Atlanta. That's not true. It's really based in New York City. That's where Jeff Zucker is. That's where the real power is. Uh CNN is here in New York City. He's doing a primetime show in New York. A lot of their audience is in New York. And he was having his brother on during a pandemic, no less, for the Bro Cuomo comedy hour. The whole thing was so tone deaf and, and so disrespectful and gross. But then when things turned and his brother all of a sudden, the governor of New York, was in trouble. Oh, I can't cover him. Not only could he not cover him. He was part of calls with politicians assistance. 
he was part of the call with the the comms team for Cuomo, Governor Cuomo. It's a little complicated. So there's Chris and Andrew, right? I'll start using those names. Andrew Cuomo, the governor's team, is talking to Chris Cuomo, the so-called journalist, about how to spin this stuff and keep his brother in power. This just illustrates the kind of relationship that CNN has with all prominent Democrat politicians, just so you understand. They're always on their team. They're always working for them. It's just a question of degree. It's how much. And here it was so explicit. It's so clear that even CNN, which is laughable as a journalistic enterprise, it's not journalism. It's Democrat propaganda. If you want Democrat propaganda, go watch CNN, right? You know, if you want to be in a room full of Jets fans cheering for the New York Jets, you know, go to a bar that has Jets flags outside that says, you know, we are all about the Jets here. God bless. Go for it. But be honest about it. And that's what CNN can't do. And that's what the Cuomo brothers can't do. You know, these are two people who have gone from the heights of glory during the pandemic to the absolute uh, outhouse. And they deserve it. They both deserve it. There was such a lack of humility, honesty and transparency in all of this. But you see this this ultra cozy relationship when you start to to piece together who in the Biden White House is married to a prominent journalist at, you know, ABC or who at the top of the Biden administration is brothers with or, you know, the sister of somebody who is in charge of news coverage at CNN. You, I mean, you start looking at all these connections, you realize, oh, there really is a swamp. There, there really is an elite. There, there is an apparatus of the Democrat controlled Democrat Party and the media that's all tied in together. And it's obvious when you actually look for it, you see it. It's right in front of you. And then they'll just gaslight you and say, oh, no, there's nothing there. Don't worry about it. No, I'm sorry. What you have here with the bros Cuomo is really not that unusual. She's back, folks. Ann Coulter, 13-time New York Times bestselling author. Go to AnnCoulter.com for her latest column. This time around, it's only in Florida, crazed woman stalks governor. Anne, great to have you back. Good to be here, Buck Sexton. So tell us the tale of Ms. Rebecca Jones, who, you know, we, we had Charles Cook on uh, earlier in the week to, to give his version of this one. But you've you've dug a bit deeper into not only is her basic story about Ron DeSantis cooking the books a lie. There's a whole lot more people might want to know about this hero of the left. Um, yes, crazy people have become kind of a specialty of mine. Um, not because I particularly want to make fun of crazy people, but they end up being elevated into Joan of Arcs by our media as long as they attack a Republican. I mean, I ran through a list of them in my column. Bill Burkett behind the CBS um, National Guard story, the one that brought down Dan Rather. Um, he showed up at USA Today offices. You will forget this. It was 2004. Literally foaming at the mouth and collapsing. Um, and and he was the one, I believe, who produced all the Word documents that he claimed were from, I don't know, the 70s or something. Um, there was Jamie Lee Jones, big congressional hearings, Al Franken leading the way, um, claimed she had been gang raped by Halliburton employees in Iraq. 
Um, and, oh boy, not very much digging into that case produced a complete nutcase who had made the whole thing up. Um, it came down to a he said, she said, consensual date rape claim, which she lost. Um, and then most recently, everyone will remember Michael Avenatti. <laughs> he was going to be the Democrats' presidential candidate. C- CNN's um, favorite guest for about three or four months. I mean, the number one appearing guest on CNN. Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm more of a, an MSNBC devotee. Um, he was pretty regularly there. Even my pal Bill Maher had him on. Oh, my gosh. He was going to bring down Trump with Stormy Daniels and Kavanaugh with Julie Swetnick, um, who was my favorite of the of the Kavanaugh accusers. He was, Avenatti ended up being blamed for Kavanaugh getting through because he produced this woman who was so barking at the moon crazy. Um, in any event, the latest one is this woman who's been accusing a Republican star. Um, people are looking at him for 2024. Um, the great governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, whom, as I'm sure your listeners in particular know, um, since I know you're a huge fan of the shutdowns and the mask mandates. Well, there were no mask mandates in Florida. The state has, after an initial, I don't know, one month shutdown when nobody knew what was going on, the state has pretty much been open. The schools have been open. The economy is booming. And there are, um, at this, as of today, 30% fewer COVID deaths in Florida than in New York, when Florida has a larger population and, oh my gosh, a lot more old people. Um, But DeSantis managed a crisis no one had ever seen before. No one knew what was going on. Um, So, you know, that's when that's when the G factor, that's when, you know, how smart someone is comes into play. Um, And and he did a magnificent job. So, of course, the left has been going after DeSantis. Um, I mean, it's just hilarious um, how he is constantly being attacked. They act like it's the killing fields in Florida and and, um, you know, irresponsible. I guess Texas got the moniker Neanderthal thinking, you know, zero deaths a couple of days ago. Um, In any event, the leader of this, the, 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 the case in chief was being made by this woman, Rebecca Jones, whom you have heard about from Charles Cook. He wrote about it in National Review. And uh, a woman, sorry, I can't even remember her name, from my old newspaper, the oldest conservative newspaper in the country, I believe, Human Events. That was the first one to do it back in in March. Um, They go through um, basically that she was just a website designer. She's not a doctor, definitely not an epidemiologist, not a scientist of any sort. She was not given authority over any numbers, so she couldn't have been asked to fudge the numbers. But you've heard all about that from from Human Events and National Review. Um, I was more interested in the little items they kind of dropped in their column about her numerous criminal and stalking charges. And oh my gosh, Buck Sexton, (laughs) classic, classic hysterical crazy woman. Um, yeah, she comes across like the ex-girlfriend from hell for anyone wondering. I mean, she's she's the she's the person who will ruin a man's life just because he wants to walk away when he realizes she's crazy. That's what comes across. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I highly recommend um, reading her full um, 342 page manifesto about a guy she was having an affair with when she was married, um, a student of hers at Florida State University. It is it is it is like a 13 year old. It's perfectly clear reading this that um, this was a booty call for him. 
Um, he says it was a couple of um, foolish one night stands with the teacher. Um, for her, it's the great, it's, it's, you know, Dante and Beatrice. It's the great love affair of all time. And my favorite part of this, which, you know, no one has really pointed out, um, but she wrote this 342 page manifesto repeating, reprinting their sexting texts, quoting him repeatedly trying to break up with her. I can't do this. You're married. Um, I'm sick. I can't see you. And, and she, she repeats all this and then says, this was his, these were his mind games. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, no, Rebecca, I think he's trying to break up with you. Um, I always tell I tell every young guy who's out on the scene and that they've got to see Fatal Attraction if they've never seen it. It's a it's a <laughs> important milestone in every man's life. You got to watch that movie. We're, we're speaking to Ann Coulter, everybody. Go to AnnCoulter.com for her latest column. You know, and there there is a, a broader theme here as well, though, and that is the the media outlets. And as you point out in your column, this, this, I love data scientists, too. How many how many data scientists do you really come across? She was a, a website designer, right? Uh, I think it's so funny that was the term that they used. Well, what was the data that she was sciencing? Uh, but CNN, MSNBC, NPR, The Guardian, Cosmopolitan, all turn this woman. And and when I talked to Charles Cook about this, he said, when you go on the internet anywhere and say Rebecca Jones is a liar and a crazy person, the left will still leap to her defense and attack and attack. Right? They. It doesn't yeah. it hasn't yet seeped through that this woman is, is clearly a lunatic making it up. And the whole thing was a hoax and has raised a half a million dollars for herself. So there's also a financial yeah. incentive here with all this. I, I believe in the same way that I tell people that um, telling anybody who's who's a leftist, a Democrat, that they're engaged in hypocrisy. They actually almost view it as a high five. It's like, exactly. We can get away with it. I, th <laughs> I, I think, you know, they, they don't feel sheepish about it. I think that with something like this. Because media outlets, they're not running retractions. They're not running apologies. Right. It was useful right. to attack DeSantis, and now they move on. Yes, yes. As, as I described their reporting, um, you know, in mugs of the, of the crime stories that, um, you know, the, the incidents of racism, and then it turns out to be a hoax. It's like they're reading a bedtime story to, to a small child, and, and the conclusion of the story is always whispered as they're backing out of the room. <laughs> you, you never get the same headlines for, oh, yeah, that news story, that was, that was a hoax. No, that'll be on page A18. Um, well, yes, she's collected half a million dollars, which I think, I, I mean, I'm just guessing. I, I'm trying to imagine her husband. Um, as I say, she wrote this 342-page manifesto in graphic detail describing sex with which were only a few incidents i guess sex with this guy um posting no, nude pictures of him which she sent to his his mother and his employer by the way um but but it takes a while um even for an obsessive compulsive to write 342 pages and she's doing this while while she's married married she's still married to this guy so what she gets home from work hey honey going into the study to get back to that to that passionate letter about my my extramarital affair um but i mean do you do, do you think that speaking of lack of embarrassment do you think that rachel maddow when this story comes out you know you're writing about it and and charles cook has been writing about it this week and people are are getting into the details do you think that maddow at msnbc even has a moment of "Ooh, this didn't work out or is it yeah well it was good while it lasted Yes, I think more it's good while it's lasted. That, that is the problem with maniacal zealotry. 
Um, they are, they, the MSNBC, well, some, some are dumb, but mostly they are just obsessive zealots the same way this girl, Rebecca Jones, was an obsessive zealot with her poor, with her poor student. Um, I mean, the list of her criminal offenses is pretty hilarious. You can, <clears throat> I linked to a bunch of them. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can get details in the police reports. Um, but I really think her manifesto, which is, again, her version of the story, and I tried to capture some of it in my column. There, there's, you know, like 20 pages of him trying to break up with her, with her printing the text, printing the text, printing the text back and forth, him making excuses. I mean, the poor kid's only 21 years old, I must say. He, he, yeah, he probably thought <laughs> the teacher wasn't that crazy. You know, you think the teacher's at a university. She can't be that nuts. Of course, as you get older, you realize lots of university teachers are nuts just in different ways. <laughs> right. That's right. So he could have been a little more... Um, insistent and direct, though so he'd be direct and then back off. And then, you know, she will she will add her edits. Gosh, what was I to think? Then one day after him repeatedly trying to break up with her, she goes, to, she was banned from the campus and he had a restraining order against her. And yet she still shows up on campus, um, stalks him at one of his classes. They get in a shouting match. Again, this is her account of what happened. And she decides that night, oh, I think I'll drive to his house. Now, this is why, she, while she is married, her husband is home with with an Ill illegitimate kid she had in college. Um, she's stalking this student to his to his to, to his dorm room or off campus location, whatever it is. She shows up. He comes out. They fight outside. He storms off, comes back out. Um, he gets in his car. She hops in the passenger seat. Um, he gets out, goes back inside. The roommates come out and tell her, please leave. And her manifesto then says, as she's sitting in the car, which she's refusing to leave, was I supposed to leave? Was this the end of the conversation? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is it really it sounds like like one of these un, unintentionally super eerie, like after school special shows. They, they you know, or yes. like one of those like oxygen movies uh, that they'll put on about like the woman who's obsessed with some man or something they play the cheesy music and yeah t terrifying well, stuff actually you know that's a really good point because the 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 made for tv um or tv for women oxygen tv for women no those are always the guys doing the stalking and i was thinking periodically oh my gosh if the genders were reversed here Oh, big time. This would be Jeffrey Epstein territory. There are enormous differences, and actually, and even how judges and the law will treat these things. And there are guys, like, guys get stalked. It actually does happen by, by very lunatic females. That's a real thing. But, Anne, um, switching gears for a second, I just sometimes I see a news story, and I'm like, you know, it would be, be fun to, to ask Anne about this. Uh, you might have seen <laughs> that Kamala Harris keeps an enemies list, but it's not people who are like despise her or have wronged her. She keeps an enemies list of journalists, according to reporting this week, of people who don't understand her truth and think she's aloof. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say of people who don't think she's pretty. <laughs> no, it's it's people that think that she is. Uh, I think there was an I'm forgetting one of the terms. It was like that she's, um, you know, basically not like warm and, and approachable or something. So she has an enemies list of them, which I just think is the most perfect thing. <laughs> yeah, that's normal. But the good news is, Buck, we get to run against her in three and a half years. And Coulter, everybody. And Coulter dot com for her columns. Always worth a read. And thanks so much. Good to talk to you, Buck. Bye bye. Folks, I've just spoken with 
Prime Minister Netanyahu. Earlier today, I spoke with President al-Sisi of Egypt. The Minister Prime Minister Netanyahu informed me that Israel has agreed to a mutual unconditional ceasefire to begin in less than two hours. The Egyptians have now informed us that Hamas and the other groups in Gaza have also agreed. In my conversation with President Netanyahu, I commended him for the decision to bring the current hostilities to a close within less than 11 days. Current hostilities on ceasefire. How long will this last? This from CNN. Uh, Here you go. Quote, Israeli security forces use stun grenades and rubber bullets against Palestinians outside the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem, where thousands of worshipers had been attending Friday prayers. This punctured a half day of calm brought on by a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. CNN journalists at the mosque compound said dozens said dozens of Israeli officers hit journalists with batons, tried to point rifles at them, calling them liars when they showed their press cards. The officers moved on to the compound as thousands of worshipers chanted in solidarity with Gaza and with Palestinian residents of East Jerusalem uh, in the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, where some Palestinian families are facing eviction. So this is a ceasefire. But we all know it's just that, right? It's a pause. There will be and I, I would love to tell you that this will be done forever and that everyone's now going to figure out a, a better way forward. But this is likely to just be a cessation temporarily in active military uh, military violence and and, you know, paramilitary violence. Uh, It's not going to really change anything over the long term. Hamas and Israel don't want the same things. This this is where you get into why is this conflict so intractable? Why does this continue to be such a a challenge to figure out? It's because when you're sitting down with somebody and you ultimately want the same things, maybe you have a different way of getting there. Maybe there have to be some concessions made by each side. But when there are some fundamental foundational agreements, you can figure something out. You can resolve conflict that way. But when there's really no way of getting around a fundamental disagreement, uh, you're stuck. And this conflict will continue to be stuck in this way because Hamas does not accept that Israel is a state that will and should endure, does not accept that the Israeli people should be able to live in peace and go about their lives without the constant threat of another spasm of violence from Hamas. That's where that's where we are. That's what's actually happening. So I'm, I'm happy that there's a ceasefire. I don't want any violence happening. I don't want anyone to be harmed or hurt. I'm just here to tell you that that it's very obvious to everybody what this means There will be a period here where things calm down. Hopefully it'll last quite a while. And then there will be more rockets. I tried to remember recently what the smartest person I knew on in the government when I worked in the government on Israeli-Palestinian issues said. And it was every administration. And this is from the American perspective. Every administration will try to make peace. Every administration will fail. The Palestinians will make it worse. The settlers will, will build. That was what he told me. And that's a very that's uh, a pretty uh, cynical view of it or, or at least a depressing view of it. 
If you look at the last 20, 30 years, it has been true. I think it is likely to continue to be true. This Biden administration certainly doesn't have the skills, doesn't have the diplomatic vision or capability to bring about a major change in how this conflict uh, trajectory is going. And if anything, what this has exposed is there is a lot of, look, there's a lot of anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism on the left in America today tied in with the critical race theorists and the racial Marxists. There's a lot of it. And I'm talking about members of Congress, people in the media. They, they despise Israel and they can't hide it. And we've seen that now and have to be aware of it going forward. This is something that will grow, unfortunately, in time, I think. And the Democrat Party may not be able to confront it. The rest of us will have to. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. It's time for Roll Call. Producer Mark, Friday roll call. It's always a little bittersweet because I don't I don't get to hang out with you and the team for a couple of days. But I am I am going down to Florida for the weekend, so there's that. Yeah, what what are you complaining about exactly? Yeah, it'll be nice. It'll be nice. Yeah. I think it's gonna be really warm. It's gonna be a lot of sunshine. I am going to be lying by a pool or on the beach for most of it. Uh, so so I got that going for me, which is nice. Oh, that sounds terrible. I'm so yeah. So uh, are you are you done with the packing? Yeah, pretty much. Well, that's good. I think we're going to close uh, next week, but who knows? Uh, I, I try not to make predictions anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you you, you have movers, right? You're not like driving the U-Haul oh, yourself, are I, you? I haven't booked them yet just because I don't know when we're going to move. But yeah, of course, we're going to. So, you know, I couldn't get when I was down at the border and I I was there with with my producer, Kyle. And we could not get a rental car to let us go. There were no rental cars that you could take from McAllen to Austin. So she, and I give her, I give her full credit, came up with this idea of why don't we just rent a U-Haul? So we drove like five hours (laughs) in an empty U-Haul. In a truck, not even like a van? No, it was, it was like the van. Oh no, not, not a van. It was, um, the small truck, the smallest one. Okay. The smallest truck, you know, for like a studio or one bedroom apartment. But we drove five hours in an empty U-Haul. Because that was the only way to get it done. I mean, was if it. it works, it sounds like a great idea. It actually was a great idea, although I will say that driving that thing around, driving it when it's empty, you can actually, it moves pretty well. I've Because I've had to drive a U-Haul that's just completely full of stuff, and that, the weight that you put onto that thing, you know, you can't brake quickly, you can't, you know, you got to be real careful as you're driving it. But yeah, we spent five hours at a U-Haul. I would say not the most comfortable plush interior in the U-Haul, uh, the U-Haul truck. But yeah, it's not exactly made for comfort. It's made for utility. Yeah, I was. We were not. We were not cruising in the Maybach, if you know what I mean. But anyway, that was my experience with it, and I, I remembered as I told you, I still have flashbacks to when I moved my own apartment from, uh, from D.C. to New York and drove that U-Haul. I packed it myself. I drove it myself. I unpacked it myself. And then almost died <laughs> like then, just from all the, t- the fatigue and anxiety and just oh, the whole thing. So I'm glad you're getting professional folks to come and help out with that. That's definitely definitely the way to go. And, uh, you know, I was out on Long Island last night. I was in Garden City. I had never been to Garden City, Long Island before. Really? It's a nice little town. It is very. Right it's by very, where I went to college. Fa- 
It was fancy. I was oh, yeah. I was waiting. I, we had dinner at a restaurant. I was waiting for uh, you know someone named Jeeves to come over and say, "Sir, I was you know when you go to Garden City, Long Island, you're just waiting for somebody to roll down their window and offer you some great poupon." Yeah, Garden City is definitely the uh, bougier area. But the interesting thing about Long Island is Garden City is right next to one of the worst areas in the country. Really? Yeah, Hempstead. Oh, yeah. I've heard of the mm-hmm. Hempstead. Yes. I went do to you, college you in catch- Hempstead, Buck. Did, wait, what? I went to college in Hempstead. Did you? Hofstra University is right in Hempstead, yeah. Was that a... Um, well, well basically a... you knew uh, if you make a left off of campus, you're in a little trouble. If you make a right, you're fine. Oh, there you go. It's one of those things. There are a lot of colleges and universities, that, and I mean fancy colleges and universities, that are in areas where you say, oh... This is this is not what I had in mind. Um, Trinity College in New Haven. You don't think of New Haven as being a rough city. New Haven has some rough areas. I'm sorry. Uh, Hartford, not New Haven. Yale is in New Haven. Again, has some pretty rough areas around it. So Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut. There's some rough stuff there in that part. You know, West Hartford is really nice. There's nice parts of Hartford, but it's in kind of the um, University of Pennsylvania Ivy League school is in West Philadelphia, and you know, there's some areas of Philly that get a little... Uh, so there's a lot of schools that are like that. I even think people have told me that USC in L.A. is in slightly high-crime area. Yeah, there's a bunch of that, you know. So that was... The, I will say that for Amherst, that our crime log was, you know, people drinking beer, being loud at night. You know, this is... And I mean from the local police department, you know. Oh, yeah, we would... Uh, <laughs> there's obviously a text alert system nowadays, I would get a lot of texts when I was in college. Yeah, we we would we would see in the uh, in the campus newspaper like rogue squirrel terrorizes sorority like, you know, by making noise. They had to call the police to chase away the squirrel. Um, yeah, stuff like that. It was not it was very safe overall. We, yeah, so I was not like, in, a, in a major city. But that sounds like a better college experience. So mine was fine. I didn't dorm or anything, though, because so, I was local. So I guess I didn't really get the true college experience. Yeah, I think that stuff's overrated, honestly. All right. Let's go with uh, some of our roll call. Oh, wait, Mark, before I get to any any fun things this weekend, you watching anything? You cooking anything? I, I can't cook anything, but all my pots and pans are in boxes. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. Well, you can order in, though. Yeah, I'll order in something. I don't know. What do you suggest? What, should, what kind of cuisine should I order? I feel like when your stuff is all in boxes and you're about to move, you order in. I, I, I feel like Chinese is the go-to there. You order yeah. in Chinese. That's certainly an option. Or maybe sushi. My wife loves sushi. Yeah. Yeah. I, the thing about sushi is you just got to make sure you're ordering from a place you trust. You know, you can't just go yes. with whatever comes up on the Uber Eats or the uh, Seamless. I'm always very careful about looking at all the Yelp reviews and whatnot to make sure the sushi is, uh, you know, not going to make me sick. There we go. All right. We have. Let's get to it here. Mike in roll call. You and producer Mark may use y'all anytime, y'all. It's the libs we don't want using y'all. And I've always called soft drinks Coke, even though I drink Dr. Pepper. I'm from Texas, so I think it's more of a southern term in general. Also, my papa called soft drinks soda water. I enjoy your show, and I agree with your show and your podcast, and I agree that it is the best. Well, Mike, clearly you have excellent taste in everything, so I just have to agree with everything that you're saying. Um, and I, I will even perhaps start to call all soda Coke, even though 
I, I don't even know. Mark, as I say this, I don't even know what Dr. Pepper tastes like. It's been so long that I can't even think what Dr. Pepper tastes yeah. like. I, th- I think I think it tastes like cherry Coke, but that's not what it tastes like. I vaguely know, but I've never I, I, every time I've tasted it, I haven't liked it. So I've never drank it a lot. Yeah. So yeah. I just feel like I could do a whole sketch, too. Where it's like Dr. Fauci's like, do not listen to Dr. Pepper about the masks. Dr. Pepper is not looking at the data. You know, we could do a whole but thing. What does Dr. Pepper sound like? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I'd have to think about that a lot. I, I got to come up with what the where is Dr. Pepper from originally? Like, I mean, the actual soda or Coke, as it may be. I don't even know where it started out, but I got to I got to learn some of these things. Remember Tab or are you too young for Tab? Uh, I've heard of it. And by the way, uh, Dr. Pepper is from Waco, Texas. Made really? by a pharmacist in the 1880s, Charles Alderton. Wow. Do- was Charles a doctor? <laughs> I feel like we got to ask, right? He was a pharmacist. Oh, okay. That's where a lot of the sodas came from originally because they would sell, the pharmacies would have like a, a, you know, a seltzer, whatever they call it, tap yeah. back in the old days. Yeah, it turns out just mixing a bunch of sugar and caffeine in something works. And tastes <laughs> Be- good. People go, oh, sugar and caffeine, sign me up. So that's a real, that's a real thing. All right. Uh, Tim writes, Buck, I'm currently visiting NYC as I listen to your podcast regarding the Israel issue. Hard to imagine that so many libs in this area and throughout the U.S. don't seem to find their opinions regarding Israel anti-Semitic or unprincipled. Apparently, if you condemn Netanyahu and Israel defending themselves against a real armed insurrection, you're a good person. Whatever happened to Dems concerned about white supremacist terrorism and unarmed insurrection in our nation's capital? Each Hamas rocket attack and homicide bombing is far more serious and lethal than ever than any juvenile stupidity exhibited on January 6th. We conservatives should condemn Hamas's actions in Gaza using the same arguments that the hypocritical Marxists have been advancing regarding the January 6th commission. Both situations deserve our scorn. But January 6th was a one time stupid event. Hamas rocket attacks are the gift that keeps on destroying and killing. The current political situation makes me nostalgic for $1.75 gasoline and mean tweets. Love the show. Shields high. Well, Tim, you said a lot there, and I appreciate it. Thank you. We appreciate that you love the show. Also, folks, go check out at BuckSaxon.com. I got an editorial there on the January 6th insurrection. So January 6th insurrection uh, is would be a show trial. That is my piece at BuckSaxon.com. If you haven't read it yet, please go check it out. Remember, you can also always uh, listen to the podcast there, press play, etc. cetera. Uh, let's see next here. Adam Buck, coming from the state of Iowa, our Governor Kim Reynolds just signed into law uh, banning all cities, counties, and schools mask mandates. Apart from that, what are your thoughts on Ron DeSantis and Dan Crenshaw for a presidential campaign? I feel these two would be strong enough to push back against the left, strong on imagination, put fear back into our enemies abroad and can keep the MAGA movement going. Tell me what you think. Well, you got you know that I'm I'm uh, very pro DeSantis up to this point and, and think that he's done a great job. So you, you already know that uh, when it comes to my views of all this. Right. So you understand that I think DeSantis has been fantastic in a lot of ways. OK, so since we have established that. Crenshaw, I see his stuff. I see him in interviews. 
I obviously think it's very cool and, and have a tremendous amount of respect for the fact that he was a Navy SEAL, saw combat, you know, wounded veteran. I mean, that's all that all speaks for itself. He's good on some things. He's been a little GOP establishment for me on others. So I, 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 and I haven't interviewed him. I've never I think I met him once in a green room at Fox for like a minute and just said hello. And that was it. So I, I haven't really had the chance to, to dig in there. I, I'd have to say I'm, I'm kind of curious. And I think that he's done some good. I think that he said some good things uh, as a politician. But I'd have to spend some time talking to the guy to get a real feel for it. I've never interviewed him. And I've never had a real a long conversation with him. So I would just say, and you're kind of reminding me that's something that we should, uh, Producer Mark, we should probably get Dan Crenshaw on the show at some point. Do I don't really best. do a lot of guests here, as you know, who aren't friends of mine that I, I really respect on, on different issues. Um, I, I don't look to get names of people because I feel like you're seeing them on Fox every day. You're, see, you know, you're seeing them on other shows. So this show is about what we do here on this show. You know what I mean? I, I'm not trying to use a Rolodex to just get names all the time from Congress. So that means we don't have as many people cycling through from the Senate and the House as a lot of other shows. I will have some. You know, I like Andy Biggs, so we have Andy Biggs on. There's some others. Uh, but, you know, I, I like Marsha Blackburn. You know, she'll come on. She's. I just love her accent is the best. I just, Marsha Blackburn's accent. I go, oh, my gosh, everything's going to be fine because Marsha Blackburn is telling me that she's going to fight for freedom, producer Mark, and I just love it. Sound like a nice version of your Warren impression. <laughs> no, come on. Come on. Yeah, like a non degrading version of your Warren impression. Though. Well, yeah, no, I like Marsha Black. Exactly. That's what yeah. I'm saying. But she's got that southern. She's kind of got like a, you know, oh, Buck, I'm going to hold them. But I, I, in terms of tone, I think you're on to. You're on to something that there's a little similarity there, but I don't mean there to be. I don't want Marsha to get upset at me. Coming back with more roll call in just a sec. All right, more roll call before we all get off to uh, do our weekend stuff. We got Chuck, not to be confused with Buck. Uh, Buck and Mark, Coke is common in the South as a reference for all colas, not just Georgia. I believe Mark is correct. It started in Atlanta, home of Coca-Cola. Lesson number two will be about sweet tea. Yankees cannot make or pronounce sweet tea. Is there a way? Is there a way to pronounce it? That's not what I just said, Mark. I have no idea. I'm is sure it there is. Sweetie, maybe. But doesn't that sound like I'm saying, "Hey, sweetie"? I don't. Under- I don't understand. Yeah, I, I don't get that one. I don't. Get I do it like either. sweet tea, but I don't get. How I you don't say it. get it either. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Fair enough. Well, so yeah, I. I'm just gonna tell you this. I've had sweet tea before, and I gotta tell you, um. I, I, I got to tell you, oh, I'm no. uh, not a, I, too much sugar for me, too much sugar for me. So but I did have when I was uh, when I recently was in um, Tennessee, I had because the their barbecue sauce producer, Mark, did have a little bit of soy sauce in it at the place I went. And so I had their vinegar based sauce, which was excellent. I, I take I take back. My trash talk about vinegar-based barbecue sauces. The vinegar, vinegar-based barbecue sauce was actually quite excellent. You had to have the not Tennessee barbecue sauce because it had gluten in it. I'm guessing. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. No, no. So the north, like the yeah. barbecue sauce, that's like thick and brown and sweet and you know gloopy and the whole thing. I couldn't have it because it had soy sauce. Oh, that sounds you know? like torture. Yeah. No, it looked amazing. 
It looked amazing. The Snow Princess was like, mm, Well, I'm glad you like, at least found something that you could eat that was just as good. Yeah, well, the vinegar-based sauce was quite good. So I, that's the thing. I, I cannot make fun of vinegar-based sauces anymore because it turns out vinegar-based sauce for barbecue is actually quite yummy. Uh, okay. Chuck. Buck and Mark. Coke is... Co- oh, no. We already did that one. Mike. Hey, Buck and Bruce and Mark. Couldn't remember your email address, so I'll send this here hoping it reaches you guys. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Just wanted to share a funny story. I'm from Rhode Island on a bordering community with Massachusetts. I'm fully vaccinated, and our governor, Dan McKee, a Democrat lifted the mask mandate, but literally next door, Charlie Baker, a Republican, I might add, has not. Weird, I know. Anyhow, I was in a grocery store doing my shopping maskless because I'm following the science. And next to me, a lady is not only masked, but double masked. We both paused and looked at each other with this look of what are they doing? Nothing was said, but the message of what the hell are you doing was implied on both sides based on her eyes and my knowing I have a terrible poker face. Nothing was said because I don't care. I'm vaccinated and that's good enough for me and should be for her. Just thought it was a comical moment. So figured I'd share. Keep up the good work. Shields high. Well, Mike, thank you for the comical moment. Thank you for writing in and uh, mask shields high masks off. Adam. Hey, Buck and Mark uh, out here in Arizona. If the Republicans take the majority in the House in 22, I think it'd be super funny if the new speaker made a House rule that all Democrats have to wear a mask on the floor at all times. We'd probably see every one of them suddenly flip flop on masks. On a serious note, you should check out the show Letter Kenny on Hulu. It's about some guys in Canada who run a produce stand and their adventures dealing with other groups in their community. Really funny. I think you'd like the show, too, um, Mark. There are some really funny things about hockey players. Hmm. Of course, there's a little bit of leftist nonsense sprinkled in. Anyway, thanks for doing such a great show. I listen every day on the podcast. Adam, thank you so much. Really do appreciate it. Please do spread the word. And that's going to be it for today here in the Freedom Hut. Please do pass the buck over the weekend. Tell somebody about what we're doing. Give them a text or an email or, you know, send them a link to the podcast, however you can. Shields high, everybody.